All right, everybody, welcome to the OWL podcast. This is your host, Jerry, and I'm here with Jameson. Jameson, how are you? Good, man. How are you doing? Good, good. And I'm also here with Willie. Willie, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me today. Good. <laughs> so we've been yammering on a bit about Trump and Cohen. Uh, hopefully you get that in the exclusive podcast, but right now we thought we would, <laughs> for our Patreon, uh, yeah, but right now we thought we would kick things off with a little bit of a light topic, uh, climate change and how that is affecting. It's been in the news recently with the new Green Deal that was proposed, and it's always in the news with Trump. That's kind of the big thing that he kicked off his presidency with. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting topic, and I'd just kind of like to get your guys' perspective on it. Well, I for one think it's a, a conspiracy kicked about by them pussy snowflake libtards number one <laughs> well uh well go ahead buddy mm. i just had something to i yeah i just had totally to out. go ahead totally off topic have you guys seen that flat earth documentary oh the on one netflix? that's on netflix where they literally prove yeah. that the earth is curved and they're like yeah. oh well this is oh interesting oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're not interviewing me so i can like just shake all this information out of my head yeah <laughs> It's called, I think it's called Beyond Belief or it's something like that. It's Beyond the Curve, or, I think. Yeah, Beyond the Curve. Yeah. It's good. It's really Is good. It's funny. Yeah. It's funny. There's a it's scene. A little, what do they do? Like, do they just like spring it on somebody? They're just like, no, and here's literally all the reasons. Uh, no, so they juxtapose uh, scientists with flat earthers, and they just they go around following this flat earther, and then all these other things. And then they kind of, like the scientists are like, well... We messed up, or we fucked up, because we we haven't been we haven't done a very good job of reaching out to those that those communities. But like the flat earthers have these massive communities of people that they have conventions, they have you know podcasts, YouTube videos where they all just debunk why the Earth is round. So it's pretty interesting. Well, people dress up like fucking bears and, and ponies and fuck each other. I mean, why can't they talk about the Earth's alleged shape? Yeah. True. I mean, it's, if anything, do they make grounds, like, do they make progress with these people? No. Like, I haven't seen the documentary. Because no. no, that's what I, I mean, like, go ahead, please. Yeah, it's just, it's just interesting that it's like, it, it's kind of a, a cult, I know, in a sense. Uh, you can see that. So they all, they just, like, they just reinforce each other's opinions. Uh, but it's really interesting. They have one guy that actually tries some real experiments, and kind of funny how that movie ends up but yeah it's just interesting it's funny it's funny to watch because you mentioned conspiracies yeah. so it's funny well i know that there's one scene in that <clears throat> where one of the guys is trying to do like you said a science experiment to prove that the earth is flat and he's all like so if we put this light between these two blocks of wood that are i think like a couple football fields apart and if we both hold it at exactly 17 feet, we should be able to see the light with no problem. But if we move it up to 23 feet and we see the light, that means the Earth is curved. So they're like holding it at 17 feet, and they're like, "Do you see the light? No. Do you see the light? No. Move it up to 23 feet. 23 feet. There's the light. And they're like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I know, just people like that. I've come to realize. Like it used to. I remember back when I was younger. It would bother me so much to run into somebody that was so belief driven that they had completely anesthetized themselves to any new information. Can't hear it. Can't absorb it. Just uh-uh, doesn't fit my dogma. I'm not doing this. I, I I find now that 
I just, I kind of ignore them. Like, I'm aware of them, but at the same time, you're just like, meh. They're like furniture. Just, like, I'm not going to get into an argument with a couch. Yeah, but it's uh, it's kind of tough because it's, uh, so they, you either reinforce your opinion because you're in that cult. So mm-hmm. you either, right, you're, you're in the cult of flat earthers and you, 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 you either make that opinion stronger, right? You're like, well, I'm a flat earther and I'm a flat earther and this is my even stronger, crazier opinion and you entrench yourself even further in that community or you come out against that community and you say, no, actually, I'm not a flat earther, but I'd still like to be a part of this community. Well, they're going to ostracize you. And then when you come out of that community, you're already ostracized from the general public, right? You can't come out and be like, I'm a flat earther or I'm an ex-flat earther because you've just written all these other people off. So... It's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's it's like a reinforcing thought process or like that cult mentality where you're you're doubly isolated, you know, you just, you either get further deep into the flat earth or... You know, well, it sounds like a potential echo chamber idea for yeah. just, just further reverberating stupidity and just, just batshit crazy ideas. Well, and it's also yeah. a place of finding an acceptance, kind of like what Jerry was just talking about. When you're yeah. in that little cult of other flat earthers, you're in a place where people... Will, all have that similar mindset and that you feel accepted you feel like you belong and then all of a sudden when you start to realize like maybe the earth isn't flat and it is a globe <clears throat> and then now all of a sudden yeah you're getting pushed out of a place where you once felt like you had a family friends a belonging and yeah. now you're a microculture yeah microculture yeah yeah it's kind of sad yeah i just uh, you, you bump into people occasionally you're like you know I, I work in sales so i'll bump into these people and occasionally they'll just open a small window into their personal lives and dear god (laughs) you are just a crockpot full of crazy Mm -hmm. yeah i used to engage it and i would lose hours of my existence just exchanging with a fucking lunatic i would get nowhere you know what i mean like it's it's like it's like trying to negotiate with a hurricane like you know it just sort of (laughs) happens and then it's gone and you're damaged as a result like it's just i've kind of learned to be like "Uh uh-huh that's cool, dude. Great. Here's your yeah. car charger, and that's a door. You should really familiarize yourself with the other side of it. Don't buy this phone. It'll blow up your genitals. Oh, God, that fucking crazy bitch. <laughs> it's just you run into people in this world, and you kind of realize, like, I am operating on the binary of educated thought process. Sure. We all have our preconceived notions. We all have our bias. That's that's just being a human being. It's part of the condition. But I I pride myself on being able to look at something and try my best to divorce myself from from a a subjective or biased standpoint or viewpoint. Try to find the objectivity. And there's other people that you bump into in this world, and their philosophy or approach to, to this whole thing we call humanity is completely and utterly different from that. I, I suppose just be cordial. Just just be nice to them. Maybe just nod and smile a little bit. Like, I, I'm not going to just be outright mean to somebody. I, I've realized long ago that, that doesn't get you anywhere, but there's a lot of people in this world who reason is something that will never be part of their day-to-day. It's just not how yes. they operate. Furthermore, like an ostrich, they will bury their head further in the sand in the face of information. And I believe open mockery only makes it worse because you're forcing those people who are, again, feeling ostracized to push further away 
from that to what they feel more comfortable towards versus trying to engage them in day-to-day conversation, maybe keep the conversations light, establish a little trust over time, and maybe make them come to their own conclusions. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to say what what is... That's one of the things that we haven't quite nailed down is what's effective to... effective Or what's what effective communication looks like. Like, how do you persuade somebody... And how do you persuade somebody to look at evidence and be reasonable and... You know, it's just so many things are useful. Like you mentioned mocking, mm-hmm. for example. Like it, I got really into the whole atheist movement five or six years ago. And people would say Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, they, they just mock religion. But they have thousands of followers. They have people that mm-hmm. email them every day. Well, Hitchens is dead now, but Richard Dawkins, for example. And he has people that email him and say, well, your videos changed my life, right? I'm no longer a Muslim or a Christian or whatever it is. So it's hard to say what works in that, you know, in that context, right? It's just either mockery works or cordial debate works or you just I, never know. I think know. it depends on the person and the pressures yeah. that are around them. Yeah, true. Like if they have an entrenched community about them, attacking them, I believe, is only going to further radicalize them. Yeah. Unfortunately. It, it's so interesting to deal with somebody who is completely divorced from reality. I mean, a lot of people ruin it. They like being a troll. They appreciate the fact that what they're saying is fucking bananas, to you at least, and you're just completely aghast at what they're saying. I bumped into a lot of those. It's like, dude, you're obviously saying these things because it's the only way that you can garner attention because you're kind of a boring and, and basically subhuman being. It's just like, you don't have a lot going on, so you're going you're gonna to just grasp or latch onto these ostensibly fucking crazy opinions and anybody with more than two brain synapses firing in the same direction are going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. But if you outright attack them, I, I think it's almost giving them power, so to speak. I don't know. It's a tough road to cross because sometimes people say stupid shit and you're just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Your only hope is to maybe get to their children while they're young and try to undo some of the potential fucking hardwiring they're going to put to these little bastards. Well, mentioning that fact that, like, if you're attacking them, you kind of come across as that asshole, and that's what people are going to see as opposed (laughs) to the fact that you're actually trying to prove a point that's a valid point. Like, the earth is round, the earth is round, but you're coming across to them as, like, everybody else around you, like, wow, he's being a real asshole to this person. Mm -hmm. They're not going to sympathize with you. They're going to sympathize with the flat earther in this case. Yeah, and a really good, that'll tie us more into the, topic of what we're trying to talk about is uh, a really good point about this is the Bill Nye with Tucker Carlson thing where Bill Nye goes on Tucker Carlson and mm-hmm. they're debating climate change and Tucker Carlson is just asking him questions like hey look, I'm just genuinely curious like what what happens here what happens here and I just want to talk about these things and Bill Nye comes across kind of bullyish and, and douchey yeah and he just it's comes across very aggressive like he's just lost all patience for it and i think that that style of communication just comes off wrong especially for people who don't understand the science or people who just generally don't know like you you can't you can't lose your cool and and you have to especially if you're the subject matter expert Mm -hmm. you are going to further alienate people from what is good information some people are a lot they're lost like, you're just not going to win them over. But being a dick is not going to gain you any favors in an argument, in a conversation, in a sale, anything. It's just not going to fucking happen. Like, you have to be the bigger person. 
it's not for the sake of talking to that person and winning that mine, but maybe for the ear that's sitting a few feet away from you, maybe in another room, or in this situation, somebody who might be watching this video being like, oh, yeah, absolutely, that does make sense. Maybe I was a dick to that guy who believes silly shit that I don't agree with. You have to keep a chain of dialogue open, and being needlessly confrontational and verbally abusive to admittedly an opinion that you might find stupid is just not the way to do it. Don't sink to somebody's level. If you're trying to make an example or you're trying to enlighten somebody, it's really wise to lead by example. You, you need to, to lead with your best possible foot and just say, hey, man, like... The old yes. actions speak louder than words type thing? Precisely. I mean, a lot of people, we take for granted that... You know, I have somewhat of a science background. Nothing extensive, but like, you know, I took my courses through middle school and high school. I took science courses in college, you know what I mean? I took, I actually took a lot of very climate-heavy courses. I took a lot of extensive uh, extensive oceanography uh, feed through my freshman year because I had the privilege of going to Kent University, and I had two wonderful professors who were forefront runners in the oceanography community, one in ocean convection, and the other in, um, oh, what was it? One was in the convection process of oceanic uh, currents, and the other, I believe, was in, like, above board or, like, surface phenomena in and amongst the ocean. So, like, brilliant people teaching a course that was way too hard for freshmen, but for four months I slogged along, and I got a lot of really good information. And a lot of yeah. people don't necessarily get that exposure. True. I think uh, Bertrand Russell had the best quote, the English philosopher. He said, if somebody doesn't understand arithmetic, you can't get mad at them that they don't understand arithmetic. It's, it's kind of your responsibility to get them through that. You know, mm -hmm. If they don't understand what two and two is, then it's your fault as a teacher. It's not their fault that they just can't grasp that concept. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but anyway, um, just to bring it back more to climate change, just, I'd kind of like to get your guys's Overarching, I know it's a lot to cover, but we can try. Um, yeah, we can try to fix climate change in an hour. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it can be done. Yeah, and it'll be. You no, know, I just here. watched. I watched a fascinating documentary that focused on probably the number two biggest contributor to carbon emissions in the world, which is the industrialization of farming practices, the way we eat, both cattle and just like general grain soybean corn that sort of thing the way in which we um uh, homogenize tens of thousands of acres blah 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 but yeah in a nutshell the, the biggest the biggest problematic feature is carbon well, let me... we're, we're essentially taking too much out of the out of the environment we're pumping it into the atmosphere and they were talking about more sustainable on smaller acreage to essentially uh, reinvest the carbon of the atmosphere back into the ground, which leads to a more reliable yield-driven crop that's more resistant to drought. It was a fascinating documentary. I gotta remember the name of it. Yeah. Well, let me uh, let's let's back up before we get too crazy here. I <clears throat> I want to get both of your guys's kind of views on climate change. Are you guys believers in that the climate is changing? Do you believe that man is the primary? reason that the climate is changing do you believe that this is just something that happens within nature and that this is just a natural process that's happening but maybe expedited a bit by man or life in general what 
what are your guys' individual thoughts first when it comes to climate change? We can start with you, uh, Jerry. Well, I think, yeah, yeah uh, climate, change is just, climate change is a phenomenon that's observed in our atmosphere, mostly due to the CO2 in, in our atmosphere. So we have, our atmosphere is mostly made up of nitrogen, mm-hmm. uh, 20% oxygen, and then you have a little bit of argon, and then the rest is randomly mixed molecules within there. In that small percentage of CO2, and then that fluctuates, right, between whatever it is, right? Too much of it, our planet gets warmer based on how it interacts with infrared light. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is it goes in cycles, right? Sometimes there's more CO2, sometimes there's less CO2. Our planet has been cold, our planet has been warm. Um, But right now, in, in the present moment, what we do know is that we have an increase of CO2 relative to 100 years ago. So industrialization. Yeah, so that, that rise in CO two, we know that CO two, for example, is, is a linear molecule, carbon attaches to oxygen, and that linear molecule causes because of how infrared radiation interacts with that light, causes the atmosphere to get warmer. So we know that that's occurring. And we know that us burning because of how combustion works and the byproduct of combustion of burning fossils is CO2, we know that the more that we pump into the atmosphere, the more CO2 we're going to have in the atmosphere, right? So that's just, that's the problem that we're dealing with is how does that CO2 affect our quality of life and how does that CO2, can we just pump endless amounts of CO2 into the atmosphere? Well, probably not, but that's seemingly what we're doing. And Mm -hmm. I'll let that, other people answer here, but we also, just to kind of juxtapose that, that burning of those fossil fuels has also been extremely convenient for us because industrialization has led to massive wealth growth, right? We, we have less people in poverty than we've ever had. Um, the Industrial Revolution legitimately changed how people lived. Our quality of life has gone up exponentially. More people are wealthy now. Their affluence has just risen. More people less starvation. You've industrialized food manufacturing. People are actually wearing better clothing. Across the board, it's been an increase because you have limitless energy. Well, allegedly limitless energy. Yeah, exactly. So that's my overview of of climate and climate change. Really? Yes, sir. Yes. Um, do you do you have a distraction there? <laughs> I, do, I do. Please hold for our regularly scheduled program. The sign comes up. The guy just yeah. Yeah, a bit of an issue here, David. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you look at the initial stages of industrialization, and then you look at uh, basically the harnessing of fossil fuels you can see a correlation between temperature increase levels of carbon in water and in the atmosphere you can basically draw a clear line in the sand that says hey look at this interesting socioeconomic thing that is occurring amongst humanity and hmm, there is a slow well not slow pretty pretty rapid if you're looking at it geologically a spike in global temperatures that is happening right now. I, based on the evidence that I have seen, 
I, I really don't think there's anything to refute. I think the real conversation is we have a certain lifestyle that we have acclimated to, and the moment we get past whether or not this is an actual thing, and we start focusing on, hey, what is a way that we can supplement our consumption of energy with something that is a wee bit more sustainable and less egregious to the environment, we're going to be able to start alleviating some of the problems that we have. I think that you can talk about the science of it all day and keep coming back to the basic conclusion that the vast, vast majority of any scientific and any intellectual mind is looking at this problem and saying, this is a problem, this is happening, weather is getting more radicalized, there's more carbon developing in our atmosphere, shit is getting hotter, temperature swings are getting more radical, God forbid this actually affects the convention patterns in the ocean because entire continents are going to have temperature swings that could completely disrupt their agricultural practices and trigger mass famine. We need to focus on different ways to allocate energy. So I believe, I do like the intro that you gave, Jerry, but I, I think it's such an established fact that this is happening. I think it's more a matter of what are we going to do to curb our consumption of something finite and very carbon producing and lessen our footprint overall. That's where I weigh in on climate change. Like it's, it's happening. Let's move past that. What do we do to fix it? So, <clears throat> interesting. So, I have been, ever since we agreed to talk about this, I've been uh, mm -hmm. reading a lot and um, been really fascinated with this uh, one scientist in particular, Dr. Patrick Moore. Mm -hmm. And I'll start with, I guess, my personal view on it. Like, <clears throat> I believe the climate is changing. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, I believe that it is a part of, you know, just kind of Earth cycle. And if you look back to the last ice age, there's some dramatic changes that happened right there at the end of the last ice age as far as ocean levels rise and things like that. But basically what I've been learning from this uh, Dr. Patrick Moore, who was a founder of Greenpeace, but then ended up leaving Greenpeace because they essentially went a little too radical, um, he, They're terrifying. Uh, yeah, and um, <clears throat> he considers himself a sensible environmentalist now, um, is how he would identify himself. But um, he has been talking about the effects of CO2 on the atmosphere, the effects of warming and cooling on the planet, and he's been giving data over the last like 500 million years showing exactly what has been happening with CO2 levels, even within humans in the last 10,000 years. Um, and I'm not... A scientist so I don't know the exact answer here but I'm not 100% convinced that it's man is the issue when it comes to it um, I am convinced that we do need to look at getting rid of fossil fuels I think that is the smartest mm -hmm. route to go um, and I since I'm not like I said super scientific minded um, and I'm still researching on it I decided to look at some other different options that I think would be a much better solution I think both economically and environmentally and things like that that I think we can start to have a really good conversation with that would benefit both you know energy solutions and people and stuff like that and um, I don't know so for me personally when it comes to um, what I think we should start looking at doing is we need to start looking at nuclear power and not in the sense that I think that we need to go to it overnight but I think it needs to be considered um, a very very 
good idea and that we need to start looking at doing that versus actually things like solar and wind because the technology for solar and wind right now is not very good and in order to essentially shift off of fossil fuels without damaging the economy and without creating massive amounts of damage to the planet we need to start looking at doing uh, nuclear energy preferably thorium and not uranium and start essentially looking at innovation as the solution and not tax people to death and not put subsidies and stuff like that on people and just keep throwing those words out there at people but we need to start looking at innovation and things like that in renewable energy sources so that's kind of how i put a stand on so you're looking at it more from an economic issue as opposed to an environmental issue well if you look at uh, aoc's green new deal it's a 40 dollar 40 trillion dollar economic just shit plan that's going to essentially destroy the economy because it's trying to get us away from fossil fuels over the next 12 years which is not feasible it is not feasible no matter what you look at it and 40 trillion dollars additionally in debt is not a good idea so i think if you look at it from a very economic point of view and you start looking at the actual benefits of slowly shifting away from fossil fuels shifting more towards nuclear and then putting more money in innovation in green technology and green resources that is going to be the much better route to go to start essentially working on this climate change issue and that's something that we can start working on over the next 10 to 15 years very very feasibly as opposed to just completely abandoning fossil fuels i think i think we can all agree that the climate is changing so that's probably not going to be much of a point of contention but i think the argument is is all economic at this point so i would deviate here and i don't agree that we should get off fossil fuels one they're incredibly cheap and two our emissions have gone down linearly since the 1970s since we found a way to make or basically since we discovered fracking and we found clean coal our emissions have just gone down if you look at our emissions report they just continue to go down and we just continue to find more fossil fuels and we're probably an exporter of fossil fuels at this point and they're cheap they're very economically friendly and renewable energy is just is not the way to go um it's not the sole way to go right we it's a supplement yeah. you can't 100 yeah, percent rely on a windmill but yeah. you can take a gradual percentage off by investing into renewable energy and to jameson's point nuclear is a good option yeah one of the or one of the so this is a point that i think would be interesting to at least talk about one of the crazy things about people like uh the new green deal and alexandria ocasio-cortez she's such a radical and she's proposing that we get off fossil fuels that it's gonna it's gonna be an economic disaster and and it's interesting to look back at the alleged green movement of the 1960s and 70s where they were so radical they thought that nuclear was the wrong way to go there, there was you can find all this old literature on why people didn't think nuclear was a way to go so it was anti-nuclear power movements and this is why we're so behind on nuclear right it's just well, if we had I mean, a fraction of the population and we didn't have the needs of energy that we have right now sure maybe we could look at far far greener options but we have an energy debt that we need to fulfill on a daily basis and just cutting off the feed overnight 
You're right. It would financially bankrupt us. 30% of America's electrical grid is still relying upon coal. It's yeah. going to be less, and it's continuing to be less as alternatives come about. And to Jameson's point, innovation is what's going to be the spearhead to drive these things forward. Innovations in batteries, innovations in power retention. And emissions. Our emissions have gone down. True. A lot. Coal is, like, still, coal is still fucking filthy. Like, yeah, it's, it's still filthy, filthy, but I mean, if, if you look at what our emissions were in the 70s to what they're at now, I mean, they're at an all-time low, and we're still producing and burning just as much fuel and it's just it's crazy how much our technology has improved well and it's like you said i mean innovation is the solution to that if you look at the car for example the car was one of the biggest burners of co2 there for the longest time and it was the innovation of the cadillac converter that essentially started to make emissions just start like i said dropping 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 so yeah we need to focus on emissions but i'm going to disagree with you jerry on the fossil fuels yes right now they are a good source of income for us but they are extremely finite when as opposed to nuclear especially when it comes to thorium we have over 4,000 years of supplies that we can look from with that as opposed to fossil fuels which we maybe have a hundred so I would strongly disagree that we stick with fossil fuels even though we are considered an exporter of it right now but over the next 15 to 20 maybe even 30 years we need to start backing away from fossil fuels and especially look into this nuclear thorium and the biggest advantage of that, if yeah. you look at it, is we spend for one gigawatt of coal $1.8 billion when opposed to one gigawatt with thermal with uh, thorium, we're looking at $50,000. So it's a much more economic thing for the long haul. But yes, I agree that we right now we can't get away from it. This has to be... Yeah, I was, arguing, I was arguing more against AOC's Green New Deal oh, about yeah. getting off of it in the next 10 years than I was about yeah I'm all for finding renewable sources of energy and especially if they're cheaper it's just economics at that point right it just whatever's cheaper and whatever is more convenient for the consumer but right now you have crazy plans that people want to ban airplanes and ban people on roads it's, it's that's just crazy talk, right? Yeah, it's yeah. absolute it's absolute fucking nonsense but, it, but it's not it crazy talk if you look at how fervent and how crazy the Democratic Party is, right? It's just they are they're Bernie Sanders and AOC get up there and, and you would think that climate change is here and we're dealing with the worst outcome of it, right? So climate change is real and it's gonna affect us in hundreds of years from now, but to say that it's just the it's the, the to say that are it's, pushing far sooner than that, Jerry. Well, right, really, but, me, but to say that it's an existential crisis right now is is not correct, right? The way that the Democrats are saying that it's going to kill us here in the next 10 years, right? I agree with you that, okay, in the, in the next 50 years, coastal cities are going to be heavily affected. Uh, I agree with you that we're going to start seeing crazier climate patterns or even you know, stronger hurricanes, things like that. But it, it's also not the existential crisis that Democrats would have paint that picture right just we're not gonna we're not gonna see mass migration on the scale that democrats think we're gonna be seeing here i don't know man if you have water if you have water levels rise at some of the projected estimates they have even if it is 50 years from now could be a hell of a lot sooner could be later but it could be sooner what is it some the majority of the world's population lives what within five ten miles of the coast pretty close to the ocean right 
you're just placing that many people, where are they going to go? Furthermore, if you have too big of a radical change in the temperature of oceanic waters, you're going to have an effect in the convection of ocean flow. I think Europe is the best example. Just It's a side pivot, but I promise we'll get back to the point. You essentially have a continuous flow of warm water from the Gulf of Mexico up to Europe. And then the cold water from their cold seas is essentially riding a lower trend because it's more dense down to the Gulf of Mexico. You have a few degree temperature change in that general flow of machinery. Essentially, that entire current could shift and move further south, closer to the true point of longitude, more centralized to the Earth. You could change the temperature of the entire European continent to the tune of 15 to 20 degrees. A significant amount of grains and vegetables are grown out of that area. You could trigger the, you could trigger a famine in a matter of decades that could kill millions of people. Well, let's it's put it a like big this. issue. Most of the world's farmable land right now is covered by ice in Canada and Siberia. So most of this is some uh, argument that Patrick uh, Moore has made. So right now, what you're arguing is that they're going to rise within 15 to 20 feet over the next 50 years. When he's arguing that we're looking at a maybe two degrees warm over the next 50 years at current rates, and that's at most. Which I'm not saying the world's going to rise by 15 degrees. That's fucking insanity. Well, no, I'm, you're, I'm what I'm saying is that the global me. temperature. Yeah, no, let me finish. And the global temperature does not rise at. Please, can I finish? Yeah, it does not rise at the equator, it rises at the poles, which, like he said, but right now it'd be backing off a little bit of Canada, giving more farmland in Canada and in Siberia right now. And this is what this his research has come to prove. And it looks like right now that actually that you talk mm-hmm. about there being ice melting and things like that, there's now more ice at the Antarctic Pole than there's ever been and there's uh, than there has ever been in the history. And now there's, of course, you know, we are losing some up at the North Pole, but we're gaining more and more at the South Pole. So it seems like it's balancing itself out one way or another. So personally, I think that we're looking at, we're maybe losing ice in the North, but we're gaining ice in the South, balancing it out one way. And where are you sourcing this information? This is from Dr. Patrick Moore. Dr. Patrick Moore. Yeah, I sent you guys a link to his his website. Again? Anyway, that's just one of his arguments. Like I said, I don't know the science behind it, but this is just I found to be a very compelling, interesting argument. Yeah, and this is very esoteric stuff. This is something that, I mean, a, a matter of degrees is just, it's just, it's not that consequential. But, so for example, Willie, what you're talking about is, just, what I'm talking about is the best estimates are saying that close, the, the seas will rise in about, for about, what two three feet in about 500 years 400 years i'll grant you that that is going to cause massive amounts of problems because you're going to have a mass migration problem but what i'm saying right now is that it's not the existential crisis that democrats are making it out to be in the next 10 to 15 years and we need to be careful about how crazy we get in in our attempts to to mitigate this issue because like i mentioned before people were so anti-nuclear in the 60s that we halted all production of nuclear facilities because of that of that radicalism against nuclear power so i think we just need to be more measured in how we deal with climate change and i can grant all the science all the change in in, it rising in temperatures and in um, I think it, I think it goes land, back to the initial argument of just basic decency. 
yeah. being able to entertain a conversation. Yes, I would agree that the immediacy of it is being, a, it's a bit of hyperbole. It's a little bit exaggerated. But it is something that needs to be addressed. And I believe we're all speaking of similar things, but we're pointing to different facts or information. Do we need to divest ourselves from fossil fuels over the next few decades? Yes. I think the common assertion is that that would be a wise idea. For whatever reason that we have coming to it, be it an economic, saying, hey, this is a finite resource, the volatility of the price, you know, we could paint ourselves into a corner like Venezuela did, putting 95% of their fucking economic power into barrel prices, and when barrel prices drop below 70, their entire government fucking shits their pants and their world catches on fire. <laughs> yeah. Or is it, hey, is it something that is uh, an environmental crisis that we're pumping too much radical change in CO2 perspective into the atmosphere, we're going to spike temperatures and it's going to create a fucking nightmare situation that we can't even imagine. Or is it a situation of, well, I kind of ran out of a point after that. That was the extent of the steam I had there. But I believe we're all talking about similar things. And I think it comes back to just the basic point of decency. Where we all, I think, are bringing good good information to the table. Stuff that we're, we're, we're passionate about. And I don't know, I feel so many people tend to go back to their, their proverbial echo chambers and say, ah, oh, this is a fucking lie, this is false, and they have reasons to say it which I think are seldom good. I just, this is good dialogue. No, yeah, I agree with that. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what people need to be doing is just having dialogue. You know, we can mm-hmm. disagree and still respect each other. Or, you know, <clears throat> we can all agree and just have a great time too. It's whatever. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I also don't want to come off as just solely picking on the left. I think there's a problem amongst the right as well. If you guys remember when Trump first got into office, his, uh, his pick for oh, the EPA was what was his name? That guy that was just a basic. They basically eliminated climate change from the website of the EPA. Well, they banned the, the specific terminology, which yeah, is idiocy. I'm trying to blank on his name, but anyway, you you also can't take the position of a Trump who is just a flat out denier that climate change is happening. He he doesn't want to acknowledge that fossil fuels are an issue. He wanted to bring back coal when it was a dying industry. And so you also can't take that position, and that's a, f- a position that, sadly, a lot of people on the right take. And just as crazy as the left is on wanting to be extreme on, on climate change, the right is also a little bit extreme on the, in their denialism of well, it. They're pushing to their respective corners because yeah, there's a complete exactly. and utter degradation of communication between either side. I think that's the basic issue. Everyone's being really shitty to each other. Nobody wants to have a proper dialogue about it, and so they're getting more radical in their opinions, and crazier and crazier shit is happening. A complete denial approach to the current administration, somebody that's trying to rip the rug out from under our feet in a matter of a decade, something that is completely driving our entire world economy. No, that's not going to happen either. That's fucking insanity. Yeah, yeah. Both sides are approaching it from the completely wrong angle. It's, yeah. But, <clears throat> so I, I've i been, like I said, doing a lot of research on nuclear just because I think it's been really interesting. Have you guys done any, like, research on thorium at all? It's pretty fascinating. I have uh, not. No, not really. <laughs> okay. Well, is that a lot of Game of Thrones? Does he have a hammer? He, he has a. Th- 
Yeah. Hammer them. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. <laughs> See the God of Thunder. So, <laughs> <We're> not hatch. <laughs> Take so, around the dude with cool horns. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, n- nuclear uh, r- um, power plants and stuff like that start to become pretty common during the uh, 1960s and stuff like that because that's when, you know, I was starting to get a lot of studying and things like that. And the problem that they were running into is, you know, you saw things like Chernobyl and stuff like that <clears throat> and uh, Fukushima. But the biggest issue, obviously, is that they were using uranium. Um, uranium is not a very stable fuel it has to have a lot of essentially safety backups in order to keep it at a cooler temperature so it doesn't go kaboom and then the biggest problem that comes with it as well is the waste the waste is unstable for about 10,000 or 4 to 10,000 years essentially after once it's been used so um, a gentleman back in the 1960s actually invented this reactor for thorium because thorium is very abundant in the earth it doesn't produce um, once it's enriched it doesn't produce a plutonium that creates the you know, essentially like the nuclear bombs or things like that. And it can produce a massive amount of energy as well for reactors and things like that. Um, but the biggest difference that they also notice is that thorium, um, once the waste, you know, is out there, it's unstable for about, or not unstable, but I shouldn't say it's... it's. It has a radioactive high life for how long? For 10 years, and then it becomes stable again. And then it's be able to be used. So they found that when they first use it, it only uses about 10% of its actual energy, and then it becomes nuclear waste, and then it has to essentially be put away for about 10 years. It becomes stable again and is essentially at that point reusable. So you can reuse it multiple times over and over and over again. But you have, like I said, wait about a 10-year period as opposed to uranium, which has that like four to 10,000-year period before it becomes stable again. So it's, it's really interesting, but the reason that they kind of put the kibosh on that back in the 1960s when there was a reactor invented for it is because essentially different governments didn't want um, nuclear power plants that didn't create essentially um, weapons-grade uranium and things like that for, you know, that they could be able to use for building nuclear weapons because this was right at the height of the during the Cold War and things like that where they're building nuclear bombs like they're going out of style. So it's something that's being tossed around right now to start bringing that into the fact and to start building more and more power plants that are based off of thorium as opposed to things like uranium, which you know, as, as we know, creates plutonium and causes nuclear weapons and things like that as well. And, of course, has that really bad byproduct of nuclear waste that can't be used for several thousand years. So it's been pretty interesting to research, and I think it's it's really, it's been kind of fun to study, actually. So Yeah, I'm reading an article right now about it. Yeah, my own thing. Yeah. It seems to be your bailiwick, Jerry. You should weigh in, buddy. My bailiwick? No, I don't know that much about nuclear energy. I just... I know that it has a resurgence, but I think people will hesitate when they hear nuclear energy because they think, well, they think Fukushima and they think Three My Island, Chernobyl. and then they think Chernobyl, and yeah, sure enough, there's a, a hesitation to have a nuclear power plant in your city. Which is ironic considering the, the body energy. count, which is, I think it's like ironic just the body count that oil has. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, look at these handful of really, really bad events. That, again, we're very splashy, but think of all of the respiratory issues that came from being in, you know, close contact with too many vehicles burning fuel at once, or how many freaking juntas that were performed to displace people and essentially steal fuel directly from them. I don't know. Nuclear seems like a good option. And thorium's 
huh, I'm reading more about this right now. This is really interesting. Yeah, it's there's some really good TED Talks and things like that I can send you guys on it as well that kind of blew my mind, and it's, it's, I don't know. I think it's definitely if you're if we're going to look at getting away from fossil fuels over the next you know 15 to 30 years or something like that, I think it'd be a good alternative to start looking at to essentially start getting away from coal burning power plants and things like that. So they're saying that the biggest disadvantage right now is the sheer amount of research and startup cost that's going to take to get it off the ground is going to be daunting. But I suppose if you weren't subsidizing existing fossil fuel infrastructure you probably could come up with a lot of that stopgap. They're not getting specific numbers as to what it would cost across an energy need as, like, as big as America's. That's the number that I'd want to see. And then I'd want to like compare it next to subsidies being written for coal, natural gas, and the other, the, the big hitters right now. Well, I think the biggest factor is that it's going to be very cost-effective over the long run of things, as opposed to... Long run, yes. As opposed to... You know, that's why I said if we talk, you know, over the next 15, 30 years, something like that, when we start backing away from coal, it'll eventually be in that same category of being extremely cost efficient as to like coal and, <clears throat> and you know, other, I don't know, gas and crap like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's kind of where I think a good alternative when it comes to climate change is going to be right there is to look at doing the nuclear energy because it will it'll meet our energy demands and it'll help us get away from inputting CO2 into the atmosphere for whatever that's worth. What significant happened in 2012? Because it seems like a lot of countries all at once really started focusing on thorium. Either in 2012, some of them signing on in 2010, but majority 2012. Was okay. it like a big meeting or? I don't know. Uh, Paris? No, Fukushima happened in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, okay, so they had something splashy and interesting that was like, hey, we got a problem with this. Yeah. I want to say Paris, but I don't think Paris, I think Paris was 2014. What do you think about the whole Paris climate change in the United States backing out of that, Jerry? Uh, I mean, it didn't really... It was just like a... I thought it was unique because of how many countries agreed on something for, like, the first time in humanity's history. Uh, you know, we all kind of recognized that carbon emissions were an issue. Um, but, like I said, again, like it comes down to an economic thing and we're trying to get away from coal and countries like China and India who are the biggest the kind of biggest culprits here were not committed or were even remotely committed to doing the same thing that we were trying to China's do China's been changing their tune a lot with the gigantic rolling clouds of smog that have been taking out cities for days at a time yeah but they're still one of the they're still the main culprit for carbon emissions and, and they have no oh, plan sure. changing. And it's not just China. I mean, they're, they're exporting, they're investing heavily in Africa, for example. That's where a lot of the emissions are going to come up next. Um, mm-hmm. And it's cheap and it's, it's you know, easy to use. So China is probably the biggest culprit and followed by India, who is industrializing quickly and have just as many people as China. So... Yeah, just as far as Paris climate, I thought it was kind of a neat thing in the history of humanity where we could all agree for the first time that was something has to be done, but I don't know. I thought it was just Trump 
being a little too bombastic and kind of uh, just you know reacting. It was a classic example of how can I make this about me yet again, or how can I get rid of the Obama influence? Like climate accords didn't really hold us to anything, but I think it was just Trump just being too anti-Obama. So well, it's, just, it, it's symbolic. It shows that you are going to at least have a somewhat tacit approach to saying, hey, this is a problem and we're going to dedicate resources to improving the situation that we're in. Yeah. Because the current system that we're in is, it's it's not long-lasting. Yeah. It yeah, is problematic. Exactly. I mean, if we have a severe squeeze on our own resources and prices the pump double in six months, it's going to be really hard for a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of people on the East Coast that I know personally that have commutes knocking on the door of three to three and a half hours round trip. Ugh. Which is, oh God, right? Fucking nightmare. Ugh. But we're talking, you know, we're, you know, you might be looking at 120 to 150 miles of drive time, not including idle time. You're probably going to burn through a tank or two a week. Ugh. And if your fuel costs double, you, you, especially like, you know, if you're in the 40 to 60,000 range, you, eh. I could, you'd be reassessing your position for sure. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's definitely interesting. Get uh, a something. Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get a... 50 to $75,000, it could be yours. Yeah. yeah. That, that's 30000 now. You get a... Oh, that's right. He recently uh, changed the price for his intro to thirty five. yeah? Yeah, he fired all those people. I said, I'm going to get a Vespa because I get 70 miles to the gallon on that hog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you look great while you do it. <laughs> no. I am very excited that prototypes for trucks are coming out because I want my next vehicle to be an all-electric truck. That'd be cool. That would be the shit. And I'm talking like, I currently have 70,000 miles on it and it's a Subaru. That thing is going to ride for a while. And I only yeah. put five to 6,000 miles a year in my car. I don't drive much. So I'm going to squeeze a ton of miles out of that car. Yeah. yeah. Could you imagine the torque of a Tesla in a fucking truck? <laughs> you could shoot up the side of a mountain just like, I want to be up there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but to kind of agree with what you were talking about there, Jerry, with the whole India and, and China and essentially them using a massive amount of coal-burning power plants and things like that, that's kind of where I want to circle back around to. I think innovation is definitely our best source of solving this problem because if we can essentially make the price of green energy cheaper than fossil fuels and in just about any other source of energy out there, then places like China and India will definitely invest in that as well, and it'll definitely really help us with those CO2 emissions too. So Ooh, You are talking about a tall order, friend. Well, that's why I yeah. say it is so cheap to get a BTU. Out of right. a hug of coal. And that's all you have to do is light can, that bitch on fire. That's why innovation is so important, because if we can get to that and make essentially green energy cheaper than those things, then countries will essentially be forced to jump in on the green movement. Yeah. yeah. I, you'd honestly have to come up with a series of really, really good patents and then just give them away. If you really wanted shit to happen quickly, it would have to be like the polio vaccine. It's like, oh my God. Yeah, we've tapped into this this wonderful radioactive isotope thorium, and we made these amazing reactors. And the startup cost is huge, 
but we're going to offer ultra-low APR loans over 20 years. We're going to get you up and running, and here's the technology. Like It would take a very generous soul, a lot of very generous souls, to make that process work. And I think yeah. humanity would be far better off because of it, but I don't see it happening. Well, it's not impossible. I have a feeling something... It's not impossible. I would agree with you. I just... I think our entire approach is something cataclysmic has to happen first, and then we have to react to it. Well, and see, at that, that point, we're trying to play catch-up. And that's not the way you want to play. I agree with you, but I'm just saying uh, the human condition is to put it off until it's a big issue, and then address it. It seems to be yeah. our, our approach to things. Like, like, holy shit, this is an issue. I mean, you talked to a citizen of New York uh, 110 years ago, biggest problem they had, the thing that they really thought was going to, like, disrupt their entire society permanently, Horseman was horse shit. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what the Talking solution everywhere. A car. Automobiles. Yeah. And yeah. now we've got our own poopy horse metaphor. And that's why, I, that's actually problems. a great example, I think, of why mm-hmm. I hate when people say that the way to, uh, you know, solve a problem is with, like, taxes and subsidies and things like that because you pay absorbent amounts in taxes and subsidies when essentially a solution like the car was a much more cost-efficient way to deal with horseshit, just like kerosene was a much more cost-efficient way to save the whales from getting all that whale oil. I mean, so that's kind of why I say Yeah, but I, but I think there's just, for every car invention, you just have many missed opportunities throughout human history where we could have prevented a lot of misery and suffering and just through lack of will or through lack of innovation we just so for example take the slave trade of the 1600s right we could have moved away from poor economic systems of mercantilism but we didn't and it was much more convenient for countries to form colonies and think that there was a finite amount of wealth and therefore you had to go into a slave trade so we could potentially move away from poor economic systems where we rely on bad sources of energy like right now with fuels or like in the 1600s with you know slavery but there's so many missed opportunities throughout human history that just relying on innovation is, I don't think, enough sometimes. I think sometimes well, you just have to force the hand. You're, you're honestly, yeah, forcing the hand is the key point because it's very rare for somebody in a position of power to relinquish that power. If I'm sitting on, if I'm a landed gentry and I'm sitting on fucking 5,000 acres deep in the south and I've got 1,300 people at my beck and call, Literally, all I have to do is keep those fuckers alive and keep them in buildings, and they're going to give me literally tons of materials that I can sell for a freaking mint. I don't want to let that system go. Yeah. That yeah, thing exactly. is going to be the biggest problem. Yeah. Nobody wants to relinquish their power. I mean, that's exactly what's going on with the current energy uh, energy issue. I, I, if, I were, if I were a billionaire with a B, I have infinite resources, infinite power, infinite money, and you're asking me to give that up and invest into something that's better for everyone, go fuck yourself. I don't want to do that. I am Smog the Dragon on top of my coins, and I want my coins. But on the flip side of that, and I'm gonna... the per- first person that can probably go ahead and find ways to make very cost-efficient 
you know, renewable energy sources, we're talking about the first person that could potentially become a trillionaire. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think it's that pernicious. I don't think it's some mustache-twirling evil person that's just saying, ha-ha, I'm just not going to invest in this. It's just, it's just too costly. Like, why, if you're a billionaire, try to invest in something? It's, just, it's, it's an impossibly tall order, and we need, as a collective, to mitigate the cost for one person right we we either need governments to step in and fund that research effort or we need a kind of a conglomerate of people to, to well fund it that circles effort. back to subsidies which is not a sexy word but if you're allocating the profits of something towards the investment into the into the technology of tomorrow and it's going to better everyone's condition eventually then that's what you have to do and well, we're paying $101 billion a year in subsidies right now, and by 2035, we're looking at paying over $233 billion a year in subsidies. Where are we that putting that money? What are we investing into? That's the thing. Right now, we're investing it into things like subsidies to go ahead and encourage people to take on things like wind and solar, technologies sure. that are not essentially good technologies to take on and are going to increase your cost. That's why I think it would be better to put it into things like... Well, energy... Go ahead. It is going to be a very long time before we curb the cost of energy to match the cost of fossil fuels. I don't think that's realistic anytime soon. Shit's going to have to become more expensive to facilitate weaning ourselves off of a technology that we have literally been refining for over a century. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like I think circular is the way to go when it comes to that because that way it won't be so expensive cost differential it's going to be horrendously expensive the research needs to be done the facilities need to be built you have to enrich that material we're talking untold billions of dollars long term yes it is going to save you money just like a solar uh, solar panel on top of a house you might fork over tens of thousands of dollars to make it happen it's going to take you over 20 years to recoup that loss but we but have the technology now. it is a good investment that's what the point is. We have the good technology now for nuclear, but we don't have good technology now for renewable. Okay, and I'm saying, yes, invest into yeah. nuclear energy. But yeah, and reading into saying, a few of the articles that were posted with Thorium, right. there's still a lot to work out. And I'm saying, like, and it's going to be expensive. Right, and I'm saying, well, from what I've read actually so far as well on some of the other ones, there's actually a reactor mm -hmm. that is built that they can use that they have a model for in place. So, but I, be, but I think the biggest thing with nuclear is not so much the cost. I think it's public opinion. That's I agree with that. Where actually. you're going to lose people. You're going to have to win hearts and minds, and that's going to be tough. Yeah. 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 Because of, what are we? What are we? Seven years off from Fukushima? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to convince yeah. people and that there's not going to be another Fukushima, not another. The trip, moment you not another three months. Yeah. yeah. Fuck building Wyoming. It's like, dude, we're six thousand feet above sea level. I don't think a wave is going to hit it. We're going to be okay. You're worried about keeping it cool? It is hot echo base up here. It is cold <laughs> and windy. And it if Yellowstone cool. blows, we have bigger problems. <laughs> yeah, seriously. What are we going to hurt? Like four gazelles and some fat guy named Steve who runs a freaking gas station? There's not much up here. That's all I'm saying. The risk is low. And AC runs far. So we're going to be good. No, but what I'm saying is we already do have a lot of subsidies in place. Just reinvest some of that into these ideas. I think... You bring up a valid point, dude. You can make a fuck ton of energy out of that. Mm -hmm. We're just going to have to reinvest and divest those away from current That's sources. That's what I was trying to say. We're going to have to dump a ton. Yeah, we're going to have to dump a shit ton in the battery technology. We're going to have to dump yeah. a shit ton in the plants. We're going to have to dump a shit ton into 
advertisement to actually win people over and get people on board with allowing the shit to happen in their communities. And that's, because, I guess, what I was trying to say, is that the subsidies yeah. that we're doing now, I don't think are the right type of subsidies, and they're only increasing, and they're not getting yeah. put towards the right ones. So, no, yeah, I agree with that. We're pissing billions of dollars away in this country on ethanol, which is an investment that I think is very poor. Corn is absolutely brutal on the environment, and it's brutal on our physical systems to supplement most of our calories with it, or to use it in engines, for that matter. It's corrosive on engines. Yet we dump billions of dollars into it because from a bureaucratic standpoint, the infrastructure is established, and to change that ship and reverse the heading, it's going to cost you tens of thousands of jobs, which is going to be very unpopular to the collective constituents that live off of, the, off of those subsidies. Hmm. So it's going to be tough. Anything that's entrenched and set in place is going to take a lot of resources and a lot of effort and a lot of people essentially having their careers being utterly destroyed to make happen. It's like the whole coal coal argument. We're producing a shit ton of coal in this country, but we're doing it with a fraction of the people. And that comes to the argument of automation, proper machinery, good techniques, and very, very savvy engineers. It's... I think there's a creative destruction argument that one can make as far as reinvesting into things that are going to be more viable long term. But the human condition of how finite our time is on this planet kind of, it, I don't know, it kind of muddles the details for us. Like, it'd be really hard to get my father on board with an argument that says we need to get away from coal long term because his entire livelihood, hell, I was raised on money derived from coal in the ground. The only reason that I got an education and can spout this liberal nonsense that I'm screaming at you right now. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. You'd be but so that's proud. the whole point of it. But yeah, I, I like, think, so there's, and this might be a good discussion, maybe not to delve into right now, but maybe for another time, but a good way to mitigate the effects of job loss or kind of that extreme change in infrastructure would be something like a universal basic income. Where yeah, people which I aren't think so we're going to have to move to. Yeah, where people don't rely so much on their jobs, and they're a little more flexible in what they can do, and we can move through energy sectors a little more efficiently because people don't rely on those coal jobs or people don't rely on you know, mm-hmm. corn, for example. I'm still you would have to, I think, tax heavily upon uh, the slow automation of different sectors that have employed X amount of people. And I mean, dude, if I could if I could cover my mortgage, no problem. I'd be so much less worried about grinding away hour after hour selling phones. And I might actually focus on something like, hey, you know what? There's a city council job that's open. I'd really like to get in there because there's a lot of different practices that I'd like to push through in my local yeah. community. I can invest time locally as opposed to grinding away corporately. Yeah, I'm still on the fence with universal basic income. I'm leaning more and more towards it because I think though it has to be done the right way as far as far as there needs to be if they're going to talk about putting a tax into place for it, they're going to have to look at eliminating other taxes as well so it essentially doesn't make mm-hmm. it wash. So that's kind of my only concern with universal basic income, but if they can figure out a really good way of essentially putting that into place where it's not going to essentially be detrimental but actually beneficial, I would be all for it. Yeah, and I, I think, I don't know too much about it, so I'm a little hesitant to say too much about it, but um, I think Andrew Yang, or Andrew Kang, I think is his name, he was on Joe Rogan, he's the guy that's been advocating for it, and I think he's running for president, To he's like the universal basic income guy. Yeah, and I listened to a couple of his podcasts, and I had a few points of disagreement with how he placed it, because 
I think the biggest advantage would be if we're going to look at doing a universal basic income like he talks about, he wants to put a tax into place, but the only thing that I have a problem with is that he doesn't want to look at getting rid of the uh, income tax, which I think would be the biggest benefit to having a universal basic income. So mm. that's my biggest complaint that I have with it. But if he if he stood on that platform of getting rid of the universal basic income, or excuse me, of getting rid of the uh, income tax and putting this tax onto other things like everyday goods and supplies that we buy, I would probably be much more in favor of it than what he's he's placing. But then again, I'm no economist either, so. Yeah. But no, I agree with your thought on the universal basic income being a good way to start looking at subsidizing into getting into nuclear energy, renewable energy sources, things like that as well, and it might help us weed through the waters yeah. a bit. Well, I mean, I think one of the best examples we can use is there is a, I think there is a line that we can follow within a few short years of automated driving machinery and software and the loss of over 3 million driving jobs across the country. Taxi services, uh, cross-country, uh, long-haul truckers. There's so many people on the road, like count the semis on the interstate. Mm-hmm. All of those jobs are going to be obsolete and soon. The fuck are we going to do with those people? And what's going to happen to all that money that we're paying out in human resource? No, it can't be 100% reabsorbed by companies anymore because it's getting to a point where I don't know where else to slosh this into people without them becoming destitute. Yeah. And we're seeing what happens to people that are displaced economically. I mean, look at the job issues and just sheer hopelessness. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, it is such a problem in the Midwest. You know they are literally training librarians in Ohio on the use of Narcan pens? Like they're being certified to use Narcan pens. I know this because my mom works at a library. Hmm. Yeah. Lots of junkies in the so, library. Well, it's a public space. You can sit there without being hassled, and it's free. Well, even yeah. if you go they to the bathrooms, window, uh... They have air conditioning. They have heating. Yeah, it's a good place to get high and doze off for a while. I was going to say, even the one in like, Old Town Fort Collins, uh, you know, I work right across the street from it, so I go there sometimes for lunch. Mm-hmm. And there are a bunch of, like you said, just kind of creeper Jones that just kind of will hang out in there, and you're like, man, you are a dirty person. Yeah, all I ever see there is homeless people pooping or sleeping. Yeah, yeah. and this is a nice town that's yeah. economically on the up and up. Good things are happening here. This isn't a town that economically saw its high water mark over 35 years ago, which is the majority of the Midwest. You go into a town with less than 10, 15,000 people, odds are the majority of the jobs that built that town originally left in the 70s. You want to see hopelessness? Drive down that main street. Christ, it is bleak. That's why my happy ass is sitting in here in Colorado, (laughs) sipping a delicious, tasty drink that I need to make another of here shortly. But that's, that's... that's where I think there is such a detachment in humanity and not looking at those issues and thinking of a way to help them. Like, it's, it's fucking awful, dude. Like, it's... Yeah. It, you have completely and utterly dismissed entire sectors of society. I mean, you literally... You can look at the statistics. Like, drugs, addiction, and um, overdoses specifically are single-handedly... single-handedly, but I would say near completely driving America's average life expectancy down. 
Oh, there is this pervasive element of hopelessness. Yeah, excuse me. There's a huge opioid pandemic going on too in the United States as well because they're getting prescribed like freaking hot tamales, you know, just yeah. And if there's nothing else to do, what shit else going on? I got a shit ass job. I'm not making any money. I'm in a derelict and decrepit house in a shitty side of town in a shitty county that's underfunded. It's rife with corruption. The roads are filled with potholes. There's absolutely no pride in where I'm living. Yeah, I'm going to want to escape from that. Drugs are an easy way to turn off the voices. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, invigorating communities with a basic income and allowing people to maybe tread water comfortably so that they can focus on other endeavors, I think that's important. And yeah, yeah, for sure. it's going to take time to roll out but I think it's it's very necessary. I I th- I think that the humanitarian argument is is lost so often in a lot of the grandstanding that we see in modern politics. That's what I don't like about it. I just don't want to see people people fucking suffer. And when someone has been been essentially deprived of a reason to live, they no longer have the ability to sustain themselves economically. They die. Well, yeah, and I don't think a universal basic income is going to sustain them economically, but it at least get, it's going to be a good, essentially a good crutch to help them. Get See, into, money, bro. Yeah, it'll help them get into maybe a better position. It's just it's nice mm-hmm. to essentially have that little bit, you know, tucked away in your back pocket, so you don't, like you said, feel completely hopeless. So yeah, because if I'm stuck making minimum wage, but I've got at least I can get a crappy apartment and get my essentials covered. Well, guess what? I can use my check and actually save money, not com- completely in debt myself on a monthly basis, running up credit cards, just keeping a roof above my head. There are some people where over half of their income is going towards keeping a roof over their head. Mm-hmm. How the fuck is that person going to pay for tires 8,000 miles from now when they're already bald tires completely and utterly give out? But if they get sick and the shitty medical system that they're relying upon utterly bankrupts them because they have to spend two days in the hospital because they can't afford preventative health care. I think there's a statistic out there that said like 60% of Americans can't afford an unexpected $500 medical payment. Yes. Yeah. We have so many people so acclimated to living paycheck to paycheck that the moment even a minor calamity occurs, a car accident, an unexpected illness, an unwanted pregnancy, uh, a house fire, anything, they're completely and utterly fucked completely mm-hmm. and having something like a safety net is going to help build safety and efficiency for people as far as com- you know, it, it's it does smack of socialism which is not a very sexy topic but we're flirting with it heavily already incorporating it in a responsible manner is not a bad idea and yes there are pieces of shit everywhere and they will abuse this fact and there's no way that you can 100% police it my mom used to work for a doctor uh, in Wheeling, West Virginia, and she saw multi-generational, um, uh, what are they called? Um, oh, what's it called? It's like child support. Uh, it's basically subsidies that you can get when you're living below the poverty line. What about, you're talking like welfare? Yes, yes multi-generational welfare recipients that consider welfare to be their essentially like profession their job so to speak they stay at this threshold and just survive and eke out an existence because they can 
there's some people that are content with that, and there's really no getting around that. I don't know. That that's 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 my soapbox moment. I'm gonna hop off and let you kids chat. Yeah. So climate, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was good. <sighs> Clouds are out to get you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Saw so a big rain cloud flick me off. It did. Yep. Well, you think well, yeah. we're ready to wrap it up? Yeah, yeah I think no? that was good. good. Yeah. Thank you for the invitation, gentlemen. Yeah, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess... Uh... Um, oh, go ahead, Jerry. I had a topic for next time, but I, I just drew a blank. Um, what kind of dog matches your personality? Yeah. <laughs> Feed this guy right here, this golden retriever. Uh, your dog is cool. Yeah, he's been great. He's so damn friendly. I enjoyed I enjoyed watching him. He was just like, hey, what's going on? He is. He's good, good to see dog. you. He's staying yeah. with his grandma and grandpa this Friday, so that'll be fun for him. Oh, where are you heading? I'm going down to Denver to see a buddy for a night, so and then okay. we, do a, we do a game night about every three, four months, so... Oh, rock on. Yeah, and whenever I'm down there, I just usually crash down there, so. That's wise. That drive is fucking horrendous. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you've been gaming till like, 2 in the morning. It's like, well, I guess I have an hour to get home now. Or I don't drift off the road and die. Gaming till 2 in the morning, and, you know, you're driving home, and you get pulled over <laughs> driving sober and still get a DUI. <laughs> oh, the fact that that prick got his ass kicked a few months later for pulling oh. the same nonsense on a guy who was just like, I have nothing to lose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I still get a boner thinking about that. <laughs> oh, that was just so delightful to hear. It's like, yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> Seriously. Just want to send him a bouquet of flowers be like, you reap what you sow, enjoy the boot. Uh, yeah. Should, you know what I should do is send the guy that beat his ass like a pack of cigarettes every month <laughs> in prison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here, hey, use buddy, this use for this protection. for currency. Whatever you got to do. <laughs> yeah. So. Send you a bic lighter, but they're not really cool with me sending metal and shiv-like materials, quote unquote. <laughs> so here's some flint. You can light your cigarettes like cavemen did. That's fun. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I don't know any. Uh, the only house cleaning item. I've got is uh, just you can once again find us on our website theowlpodcast.fireside.fm f is in Frank m is in Mary and we're on Twitter at owl underscore podcast oh and theowlpodcast at gmail.com so but yeah any final thoughts guys uh, no I just uh, I think people should listen to I think we've done a few special dispatches here uh, you did a few on guns mm-hmm. that was interesting and then uh, we did one on race as well so that yeah. one I'd love to hear yeah racist <laughs> yeah that's what I heard I had no idea that I was speaking to a grand wizard what an honor yeah <laughs> <laughs> did either of you guys get to listen to that uh that part two that we did on guns because it turned basically into like we talked about guns and then all of a sudden it turned into like feminism equality things like that it was actually pretty good nice i, I take it neither of you got to listen to it then <laughs> no i haven't listened. i i i didn't well then you're both dead. i've been really trying to catch up on game of thrones <laughs> oh, that's which god damn dude it is a literal mountain it is a mountain of content 
Yeah. You watch for three hours. And, oh my god, dude! And the commentary afterwards is amazing, but it just takes up more minutes. Yeah. They want <laughs> all of your minutes. Yeah. I'm so invested now. I'm still so far. Yeah. Season six, actually, I think is my my favorite season. So. Voice. Yeah. I've been enjoying season five immensely. I'm really excited yeah. for season eight. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard good things. That's why I'm trying to. Spoilers. Thank you. Just yeah. shut that. You shut that damn mouth, Gary. Cheap image. I really like when they mix with Westworld and Futurama, and they all just yeah. become wow. one giant world. <laughs> Show really. Bender, be, Bender becomes king. He's murdered <laughs> by Stewie. And then Jack Sparrow <laughs> shows up out of nowhere. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I don't even know what he's doing there. And of course, Deadpool's there because why not narrate the whole thing for us? Yeah. <laughs> so. All right, well. All right, gentle sirs. Thank you so much All for the right. privilege of letting me come and hop on a soapbox. That was fun. Yeah, yeah that was fun. Mm-hmm. Good times. Good times. Well, times were good. You gentlemen right. enjoy the rest of your night. Bye. 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 Thanks for being offended with us. Hehehehe. <laughs>